0: Hey everyone, uh, this is your boy Danny Hastings, photographer of more than 150 classic hip-hop album covers from the golden era. Please check out my episode at the Fly Fidelity podcast with my man Luke Bailey. There's going to be a lot of great stories that you haven't heard thus far. Uh, 36 Chambers, Hard to Earn, Capital Punishment from Big Pun, a lot of the classics, Eminem. Man, tuned in, uh, so you could get some of these gems. And hey, after that, you can follow me at Danny Hastings all across the board. That's Danny Hastings on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Peace. First First gonna say what we gonna, gonna, gonna do? do. Then, then you say, say, I don't know what do you want to do. What we gonna do? What you want to do? I have an idea. You gonna take this? The Fly Fidelity Podcast is the solution.
1: It's the, it's the best. best. Check it out. You wanna get super flat flat? Details
2: just ahead. Do you love credible content? But 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 hate how long you have to wait. And who wants Super Thick and Frothy.
0: Dumpster juice with rat corpses in it. There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast.
2: Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity.
1: With your host,
2: Luke Bailey. Fly Fidelity, credible content for incredible times. Welcome to episode 23 with photographer extraordinaire Danny Hastings. On this episode, we sit down for a feature-length discussion about holding down an enduring legacy and the stories behind some of the most iconic hip-hop album covers of all time. Enjoy the conversation. So you got your come-up in the early 90s with a job in a Source magazine photographing House of Pain. I wanted to start by asking you about defining your style as much as you were defining a visual introduction for such an important group at that time. Mm -hmm. How did you get approached to shooting for the Source magazine?
0: Um, I guess I approached them, you know, I was, you know, it's, it's like 1991 or 1992 um I was a amateur photographer at the time because that 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 job made me a professional and um you know I I was uh taking pictures of everything I saw in New York right like you know I'm an immigrant from Panama and I came in 1986 and uh you know I came with a camera I was taking pictures of you know my friends in in Jackson Heights, you know, kids in the street, my age, you know, we we're going to the park, we take pictures, hang out in the street, take pictures, smoke plants, take pictures. And I really didn't know, um, you know, when you're in the middle of creating, you just kind of don't know what you're doing, you know? Right. I was just enjoying my time and documenting my friends and... Mm-hmm. And uh, they were welcome the camera because nobody had a camera like I did. It was a 35 millimeter Canon A1 at the time, you know. And and um, I I started taking a serious interest in photography. And I think I was, you know, I was inspired by my uncle in Panama because he was uh, a former photojour- for journalist. And very early in the um, in my life, I was exposed to films hanging up in the bathroom, you know, cameras, lenses. Um I had early taste of what a photographer uh would do, which he since he was a photojournalist, he would he would um get first dip on a crime scene and will go and with a forensic and take pictures of the entire crime scene for for you know for the newspapers and you know for for I guess you know the local authorities, and I was able to go with him one time because he was babysitting us, and you know everybody said you know, hey Venezuela, what's up? You know his name is Walter Venezuela. and you know he was he was saying what's up to everybody, you know. So I was like, wow, man, this this gave me like first tip on like what a photographer photographer has so much access. You know to things what a regular you know everyday person wouldn't be able to experience right and and that was just for everything man, for you know shows and you know art places, crime scenes, you know fire, you know things, whatever incidents you know anything that that had to do with getting the news out there, a photographer would have first first axis and I kind of like that you know I was like wow I looked up to that I was like I was only like 10 years old and I was like wow this is what a photographer does and when I got to high school I was like maybe 12 13 years old I started you know becoming part of like the high school you know yearbook and the magazines and what what did that brought to my hands a top-of-the-line Canon camera at the time, you know, it was like the first, I think that like the first EOS, e- E-O-S, Rebel, you know, film, cam, film, 35 millimeter, I got my hands on one of those soakers, and I was like, okay, yeah, I can take pictures, of shit, like my uncle, you know, and uh, man, I took pictures of my entire high school, dude, like, I was like, I was like the high school photographer, right, and, and it's Kind of crazy, because I still have all those negatives, wow, and then <laughs> when I look back it was black and white negatives, so um, I got access to film, I got access to camera, I got access to a lab, I was developing film, you know, and um uh, and you know very you know amateurish level, obviously, and I came to New York, the biggest metropolis in the world and you know, I came with a camera. I came with a camera, man. Uh young Latino kid in Jackson Heights, nineteen eighty seven to 1991. I I basically, you know, was going to college. Um I was going to hunter college. I went to NYU for a little while. Um, but I just couldn't find uh you know anything else other than photography that I liked better, right? Like I didn't like anything else other than photography. And um, around 1991, I, uh, I answered a, a, a newspaper in the ad magazine, in a, a classified in the newspaper that said that they were looking for a photographer, for a printer, for a black and white printer. And I was like, shit, I know how to print. I mean, I dabbled it in, in high school, but not to an extent where I was nowhere near professional. And I haven't done it. And I didn't do it for like four years because I didn't have money or access to, to a lab, right? Right. So I answered that. And that was, you know, that was, uh, that was my call right there. And uh, the, the, the owner, a um, Jewish man called Josh, he was like, man, you're too young to to be a printer. Because most of those printers were like 35 years old, you know? I was like barely 19. Damn. And 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 I was like, yeah, I'm a printer, man. I bullshit my way through and he was like, you know what? Let's go down. You say you're a printer. And I think he was trying to call my bluff, you know. He was like, All right, let me put you to the lab, see what you can do. I don't want to waste my time with this kid. So we go down and he was like, okay, here's a job. If you print it, you got a job. I was like, "Oh shit <laughs> You know what I mean yeah. so I was like, okay, i take I take eight by ten, you know negative, I gotta print that eight by ten negative black and white okay, take the you know, I knew the principle, and i had done it before, so you know, uh, I kinda knew what I was doing, and I just kind of you know put put two and two together, put the negative in the carrier, set up my timer, focus." You know, the negative on the on the easel. Press start. I put the paper. And when I turned around, I was like, "Hey, so where's the trace?" He's like, "What trace, man? It's a machine. You put the paper in there. kid. what, what, what are you? 1985? Come on, this is a, you know, <laughs> you know busted my chops. And I put the paper in there, and that picture came out perfect, dude. He was like, "Ah, damn! All right, you got a job." Just like that, bro. And and it was just kind of you know theory in my brain a little bit of exposure in the lab before I just fucking did it you know and and that place gave me the backbone that I needed to become to to find my style and to and to practice right you can't develop a style without practicing and without trial and error and testing and and I did like Three years of the, of that job where I will just have access to film develop my own shit print other other photographer' stuff um you know at that time i i I printed some pretty big well known photographers and I would look at stuff so i was I was in my element you know yeah. I was where I needed to be and uh from that time from eighty six to ninety one I started listening to hip hop because in Panama we didn't get hip hop we we got mostly rock and roll. And what MTV was playing, so there was no exposure prior to when I came for me to hip hop, and you know I started buying records, and and uh, before that I was an avid collector of, of of rock and roll music, like I had all the 12 inch of like from Led Zeppelin to Iron Maiden to to you name it, bro. Like I I I I wanted to be a guitar player. That's what I wanted to be too before. Photography happened and um, But what that did for me too was that it, it, it showed me an aesthetic like I had every record that came out I bought it. Rush, The Police, you know, uh, Pink Floyd, everything that came out I was buying it and, and those records were were highly art-directed, right, right those records were highly art-directed like if you see Iron Maiden they only came out with that Eddie, Eddie uh, Monster, right, or Dead Mummy that comes out in all the covers, and, and that appealed to me. You know, you know, I will listen to the records and look at look at that for days. Sex Pistols, The Clash. You know what I mean? Like I, I would just buy records, and back in you know the 80s, you didn't. You didn't do anything else but to just put it on your walkman and start looking at the liner notes and read the whole shit and you know I I think all of that started to, you know, guide me towards music, right? Towards music towards for some reason I was a fan of music and then and then when I started getting hip hop, I was like, Man, I could I could shoot this shit You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like I I I, I I said it to myself, like, you know, I I can actually shoot these album covers, you know? And and uh, I started testing things out, and I remember grabbing the Beatles album cover, the one, uh, I forgot the name, but the one that they're like black and white, half of their faces, you know, it's like the four of them, and half of the faces like lit, the other side goes to dark, and it's like four faces, and also I think Queen with the backlit hair, And, you know, all the heads are inside each other, right? Classic. So I was doing that shit when I was 19. You know, I would do it to myself. I still have those pictures, you know? So I would be like, okay, I'm going to do a Beatles cover right now. And then I'll just kind of shoot it like that and and start really learning photography that way. And when I started falling in love with hip-hop and discovering, you know, that that was a voice that resonated with me um,
2: because I was
0: going a little more punk before I discovered hip-hop and and you know like the clash was my big my favorite you know punk rock whatever you describe it groups of all times and and I was I was going that way so I was already kind of like love rebellious music and and something you know some stand for something and man hip-hop started right through me man it it went boom right in my heart and I was like man I love this shit (laughs) you know and then but I was like well I don't like the cover so much man I I could do something to it you know I could I could contribute something to it and um sure enough I, I I started buying the source magazine and all the magazines and I realized very quickly that I was Right in the middle of everything, man. You know, when, when you come from Panama, um, it, it, it's like, uh, obviously, it probably would have been the same if I go to England or New York. Cause, you know, there's such big metropolis, but Panama is a very small place. You know, it's tiny. We only have like a million people in the whole country. Well, now we probably have like three million, three or four million. But tiny country come to the metropolis, and I just re- didn't realize that Source Magazine was like two blocks away from me. Huh. You know, Brush Management was in the same neighborhood because I got, I, I was printed. Remember I told you I got the job? Yeah. The lab job. That lab job was in the village, you know, downtown Manhattan, right in the middle of everything. And it was just like, you know, five minute walk everywhere. So I was like, fuck, wow, these people are right here. You know, and and I said to myself, as I was studying photography, you know, I studied I, I do need it I needed a portfolio before I approached anybody. So I printed all my all my friends that I was taking pictures of. You know, hanging out in the stoop, sipping a forty, drinking a blunt, I mean smoking blunt, you know, kicking shit, you know, playing basketball, uh, going to the park. You know, I it was just like R- beautiful pictures of, of that time, right? And I was uh, actually doing trick photography. Like, I would do a double exposure in a, in, a, in a camera. Like, I was just, where people would be like, yo, I was, like, on another level back then, you know? So I take those pictures to the source, and they flipped out. They're like, who are these artists that we don't know about? <laughs> you know, they thought... My friends from the from the neighborhood, you know, from the hood, we're, we're, were artists. I was like, nah, that's my boys, you know, from Jackson Heights, you know. I was like, oh, okay, well, shit, you got a night, bro. We're going to have some for you. Bro, that same week, they called me. They was like, hey, man, we want you to shoot uh something on Tuesday. You're available. Uh, I never forget the call, man. I was like... Yeah, sure, man, you know, I'm down. Next Tuesday, you're shooting House of Pain. I was like, House of Pain was jump around, was at the, at the peak of the shit. They were coming to MTV, actually, from Cali. And I was like, are you serious? Like, fuck, like, yes, whatever. Like, I didn't go to the job that day. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to take this. How much are you going to pay me? $60?
2: $60.
0: $60. $60? Fucking yeah! Hell yeah. <laughs> I thought I hit the jackpot, of bro. Of course. Remember, it's 1991. You know what I mean? I'm working minimum wage and a lot of printing, you know, pictures. I probably was bringing home like 250 a week, you know, 300 the most. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and somebody's paying me like a day's work for a a couple of hours, you know, I saw an opportunity there, man, you know, I was like, if I can do, you know, two of these a month, three of these a month, yeah, you know, I probably, you know, I'm going to be doing all right, so boom, I did the job, and that was my first published image, and uh, uh, there's nothing like your first, you know, yeah, and that goes. In, that goes with you till you die, right? right. And and, uh, and then right away, I was like, shit! If I can charge sixty dollars, man, we charge <laughs> two fifty. I mean, like, and, and then the next job was like that, boom, two fifty, and then the next job five hundred, and then the next job a thousand. As soon as I hit a thousand, as soon as I, I saw a thousand dollars with my name on it, I quit my job. Mm. I quit my job, man, because a1,000 dollars with my name on it in 1992, 1991, was probably like, she's like four or five thousand dollars today, maybe more, I don't know. no, yeah, yeah four or five thousand today, right? with inflation and rent and all that stuff. Listen, bro, I did not look back, man. The first job that paid me a thousand bucks was returning a boom bap by carriage one. Me meant independence. Man, the beginning. And that record, man, that record opened up, bro. And because Premier produced it, Premier took eye of that album cover, and Premier then later told me, like, I hired you because I saw Return of the Boomba. You came out very different. So and and I think that was like my next job, you know what I mean? So it was, it was like boom, boom, boom. Before you know it, I'm shooting. Thirty six chambers, Wu Tang Clang, you know, protect your neck, all that shit, you know. So and then ten years later I have a collection of a hundred and fifty album covers that you know, I like to say I, I, I contribute a nice little chunk of of of, of hip hop history visuals, you know. And yeah, um That was kind of like the genesis of it. Incredible.
2: Incredible. Talk to me about the necessity of connecting with an audience by way of a publication at that time, which, of course, was back then, it was the only time you could really see imagery pre-internet, you know, seeing hip-hop artists in magazines. You were a part of that fabric back then. Let's talk about the many magazines that you've contributed to outside of the source.
0: Man, my image at any day... Like, between 1992 and, you know, 2000, I was part of every single magazine that existed. But by way, maybe not so much by way of like the magazines hiring me, but because I did so many album covers, my work through their publicity department, would wind up in all the magazines, you know, because I was being hired by... The company that created the product, right? That created the the music, not so much by the magazines. After that, I quickly realized that the money was in the album covers and not so much the magazines, though. You know, and and I really honestly, I didn't really shoot that much for magazines after that. I was shooting album covers, but to answer your question, it was very important, you know, because even though magazines didn't hire me, I had the back cover. I have the inlay cover, I have the spreads, because the record companies will feed, you know, the photo shoot to the magazines. So, um, you know, I was in every single magazine. And it was very important because, and I feel like the difference today is that, you know, the fan, the fan will have to go get up and go and get that thing. That's right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) go and hunt for it. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, go to magazine stands and look for it and just see it and grab it and take it and make it theirs, right? Today, we're just getting stuff being fed, right, by way of algorithms. But back then, there was none of that. It was very important, especially for, for the artists, because that was a true, like, as fans, bro, you can't compare, man somebody actually getting out of bed and going to buy your shit versus somebody getting it fed into your living room, right? Right. It's a very different dynamic, man. The fans were like fans, right? And there was no, um, that was like the only way that you can actually get news, you know, gossips, you know, uh, artist point of view seeing their pictures because TV didn't care for it, right? Radio didn't care for it. No, you know, uh, MTV, it took Puff Daddy to go over there and protest so they can accept hip-hop. You know, they didn't want to fucking play it, you know? Mm -hmm. And part of it was, you you already know, man, part of it was all all, all the stuff that is coming to light today, you know, colorism, Prejudice, um, you know, didn't want to give this music a chance, you know, until the people spoke and the people wanted it.
2: And it's
0: kind of like the same with rock and roll, right? Rock and roll went through the same shit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
0: and 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 and, and it happened, right? So, ah, uh, man, it, magazines were so important. It's so sad that. You know, magazines got reduced to blogs
2: today, you know. And even the blogs have been reduced today, of course, but that's another conversation. We're approaching... A landmark moment for hip-hop next month with the 25th anniversary of Reasonable Doubt, Jay-Z's first album, of course. When you reflect on collaborating for his first magazine cover, 25 years later, how do you think the juxtaposition of him being surrounded and between these buildings in that picture, how do you think that speaks to the time, place and hunger for timelessness Reasonable Doubt evokes?
0: Wow man, I um that's a great question, man. That's a great question. I mean I you know, I hate talking about myself, but I, I think that that was kinda of like a visionary moment, you know. Oh. And that was a moment that I was enlightened by his energy, you know, and 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 I'll tell you how the day went. You know, I, I went to to uh Downtown, where he had his record record company, and this was before, obviously, the record came out. And 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 I think I I I I was in there for like three or four hours waiting for him. Like this dude had me waiting.
1: <laughs> back and, then.
0: Back then, and and I was not upset at it because I was actually it was an office that I could see through glasses, and he was like. There was like meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, you know. And my boy, uh Alan Kett at the time was working with like, yo D, I'm sorry, man. But he's but I mean I see the guy. I mean, it's not like he's, you know, fucking around and and, and you know, make me making me wait. He's working, you know, like I'm not mad at that. But you know, and what I was looking at him was a, a man that was making you know, decisions like he was running a business, and people would come in and talk to him. It was like a lawyer would come in and he would sit down and was talking to him, and then somebody else came and he was like, da, da 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 da. And, you know, and I was like, wow, man, this guy, this guy is, it's really, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's a big business person, you know? So I wanted to shoot him in the street outside, and I was like, you know, there was, like, some bars, some, like, gate and stuff. I was like, he doesn't make sense. Like, like I didn't see that side of him. You know what I mean? I only saw the business side of him. You know, I cannot, that's the only time I actually met JC. And I saw that very early. And then somebody said, hey, there's a roof axis. Maybe we could do something over there. And when I came up and I walked up and I saw the Twin Towers, you know, the Wall Trade Center, the, the epicenter of business, you know, in the world, I was like, this is it. You know, before that, I was shooting everything like street and, you know, like, nah, this man is not, and this man is that, but he's bigger than that. He's like a building amongst the building. And that's why I called that that photo. And and he he came in and he was like, yo, man, he, he was super cool. He was, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm a little like, uh, I missed out working with him through the years. You know what I mean? But I got that. You know, I got that shot. And that shot is amazing. Yeah. shot what a shot to have what a shot yeah. to have. <laughs>
2: and of course there's this relationship you have with new york it's in your work it's you know in everything you do could you talk about the characteristics that make up the best of what new york was at that time compared to what new york is today in 2021 especially nah, with the twin towers <laughs> which was such a place of creativity for whatever reasons for you when you took pictures
0: yeah man i i have uh I mean, the twin towers to me were like, you know, it was the branding, the iconic uh, buildings that defined the skyline. You know, right. Uh, up until you know, 1970, it was it was it was the Empire State Building, right. But the twin towers, man. You could see it from any angle, like wherever you could see it anywhere. You know, that shit was New York. You know. Yeah. Like it, it undeniable. Nothing looked like that. So I always gravitated towards them, man. You know, I, 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 I visit uh, the top center very often. You know, I just love that place, man. I, I really did. I, and, and I would love to shoot it from all kinds of angles. I, I, I never really did the Empire State Building too much. I was always, that was my shot. And I think probably because it was open, right? Like, the Empire State Building is in between a lot of buildings and, you, you know, it could get, you know, mixed with the Chrysler Building and this and that, but this was like, kind of like on its own area, right? Kind of like removed from everything and it just, it was two pillars that would stretch up to the sky bigger than anything else, right? Mm. And and I sort of uh, associated that with power, hip-hop, the movement, and, um, uh, you know, I did so many shots bro. like, I look at my files and I'm like, I got so many shots with, uh, with the Twin Towers. Um, it was, it was a, a, a beautiful energy. I mean, they, they spoke to me, you know, and, and, uh, I think that shooting then, um, uh, especially with film it's 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 all kind of weird that when those buildings came down an an area an air an era came down with it too you know and if you think about it, film was dying at the time digital was coming up That's right. the internet was coming up, everything analog was being replaced you know um and it's almost kind of like the end of an era, and even a little bit for me as well, like after that, I was not really interested too much in 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 shooting in shooting period, like you know film and and the music, and I kind of started offering other services to different clients and you know they mark an era for me for sure
2: that's interesting, so we're talking about an era for yourself that kind of ended um a creative way for yourself um if we're talking about errors of course we can't ha- not talk about jruda damages the, the sunrises in the east which mm-hmm. featured notoriously the twin towers what do you record about working with Ruder damager for the sunrises in the east and what kind of dialogue was there around that cover specifically
0: yeah um well i mean first and foremost jerry to me is family you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I. Out of all the rappers, that's my dude. That's my brother. You know what I mean? There's a couple of them too, man. Raekwon, I mean, I can premiere a bunch of people. I became, I, I became really tight with. You know, but j like from the beginning, you know, he he was uh, so creative and in such a visionary. You know, but that album cover was not about the Twin Towers coming down. That that that. That album cover was an inspiration from, from uh, that movie Escape from New York, which ah. had the whole city burning down, you know what I mean? And, right. and basically that was the idea. Like the idea was like the sun rises in the east. Jerry the Damager is the only survivor in a, in a New Year apocalypse, post-apocalyptic world, you know, and which that is a metaphor for rappers you know, you know, uh are in danger. He's he's a damager, he's gonna destroy everyone. So he's a metaphor for, you know, competition music, you know, battling, all that shit, right? Dope. So that was that was the inspiration, you know, and that was shot seven years before the Twin Towers catastrophe, right? That was that was shot way before. So when 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 that when, when the World Trade Center happened, like that, that was like, I was getting phone calls from people like, yo, your album cover, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> what did you predict? <laughs> I was like, dude, I don't know, man. That shit was like a whole nother idea, man. Don't put me on to You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, I even, until this day, I have to say, like, by the way, this cover was designed you know, almost a decade before this catastrophe, you know, I pay respects to you know, and and it was something like you know, I think the line was uh I think I think the line was like a blow of spots like the World Trade Center because it was an a, a small attempt yeah back in ninety one. It was a van that that basically exploded in the World Trade Center. So the line was done and, and we took it and You know, little did we know we designed it almost the same way of how it happened with 9/11. You know, so that was another visionary, you know, another vision that you know. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I've done a lot of first things, man. you would be surprised. I mean a lot of first things. Like some 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 other stuff I've blown, you know, but I've done a lot of first. Like I had a baby on a cover for, for YZ before Biggie did it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I've done a lot of stuff. Like we did uh, the the uh, The Last Supper thing before Nas did it, you know, I did it with Wu, you know, like a lot of stuff that i done, you know, you, you know, but art imitates, you know, it's the best form of flattery, right, when when that happens, and, you know, my great minds think alike, so I don't really take it like, oh, you stole my idea, or anything like that, but, you know, there's always remixes to, to everything, I'm sure somebody else did uh, a Last Supper before that, but, yeah, I I, I was ahead of the game for sure.
2: What can you tell me about the big pun cover for Capital Punishment which of course featured the band alternative cover of him clasping statue of liberty?
0: Mm-hmm. Um Big Pun Big Pun was uh, very dear to me because not only like he's latino I'm latino so you know it was a, a moment for me to be proud that latinos have been contributing to hip hop from day one, but for some reason, never really got the, the, you know, the acknowledgement that that we should have gotten, you know what I mean? And, and, and I attribute that to different things. Um, You know, I, I think the early rappers, Latino rappers will flip Spanish and English back and forth. And that really didn't, you know, resonate to, to, to a marketable, Uh, marketable music, you know what I mean? And it it, it was a lot of things, right? Mm. For whatever reason, for that reason, specifically, Big Pong was my hero, you know? Shit, we got a Latino rapper doing this and going platinum too, you know, and being respected by... It It didn't matter that he was Latino, you know what I mean? It mattered that he was one of the best lyricists that ever lived. You know, and, and, and people gave him that recognition because toe-to-toe, man, when you analyze his lyrics, you're like, holy fuck, what is this guy saying? How is he yeah. saying this? Right? You know, so undeniably, he was getting that respect because of that. So that meant a lot to me. And, um, and uh, you know, he came to the table with so many ideas, bro. Like, this dude was... You know, full of ideas and it it was almost like hard to catch up because he would just be throwing ideas left and right and um that I like that about him because you know I was able to you know provide the the service of visualizing whatever you know he was coming up with right and he was funny, man, he had a great sense of humor um you know. It was it was good to be around him. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of controversy that that obviously happened. Um, the guy was not perfect. You know he had a lot of demons inside him. Where you know, I think his wife put it put it the best way. And shout out to Liza Rios. Like hurt, hurt people hurt people. So you know he he was coming up with that too, and and his name got a little tarnished. But man, that guy was the king, man. He he always treated me. We respect and and I do I do miss him because I think that for our culture and for also for Latinos we never had somebody like that again. Like we never had a, we never had a big pun. We you know all all the, like we never had a big pun. That's it. Like I'm you know, I'm saying it. No nobody else came not even close lyrically to what he contributed to hip hop
2: to this day. I mean? To this day. To this day, So, so
0: you know, looking, keeping, keeping, keeping hopeful, I'm sure that somebody will come around and, you know, things work in cycles,
2: you know? One of my favorite collaborations with yourselves was the infamous table shot with, of course, the Terror Squad. What was, what was some of your favorite aspects of collaboration, not just with PUN, but with everybody else in Terror Squad? Do you have any stories in working with them?
0: Uh, I love that Joe, man. Fajó is family, too, man. Uh, You know, and I stay neutral from everything that transpired. Um, But uh, Fajó was a visionary, man, also. You know, he knew that he needed to put a team together. Um, You know, but if you look at that picture, if you zoom in, that picture is kind of eerie, bro. It's kind of crazy that you bring it because he's having a conversation with Cuban links in that picture. And when you look and you analyze that shot, you know, those two went to war. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've heard the stories, you read the interviews and the articles. Yeah. It's out there, you know? But look at the energy of those two. And, and, and look at how they're talking to each other. And then you look at the rest. And Pun is like, Pun is like in a very peaceful, you know, he's, He's he's looking at his food. He's like, man, if this if this if things could only get better, type of feel, you know. So it's almost like when I look upon in that picture, I I, I get a little, you know, nostalgic because you know I I read expressions. That's what I do for for living, right? So you know, I see his expression. I was like, damn, man, this guy, right there. He's kind of like enjoying the moment. Everyone else was there, kind of like, you know also enjoying the moment in their own way, you know, they probably didn't even know what it meant to be there, but if you see Joe and and Cuban in there, there's an interesting conversation happening, um, whether it was what it led to, what it led to, I don't know, but it's all in that picture, and, um, I collaborated more with Pun than with Joe, um, I did uh, I did an album called for Joe Jealous One's Envy, um, you know, but it was kind of like brief and and record company was kind of doing a lot of stuff that that I, I don't I don't think I got to to work with Joe as much as I wanted to because uh, I love Joe to death, but um, you know, and the rest of the Terror Squad to me was really Pun and Joe that I. I I recognize as, as, as the leaders of that, of that movement, right? Absolutely.
2: Can you talk about your intentions with your work to encourage people closer to a truth and meeting a reality on reality's terms?
0: Well, uh, before I answer that question, that was the last supper, man, for them. I just want to know that, like it, literally the last supper for the terror squad.
2: So that was the last, that was the last time <laughs> they hung out
0: together. Yeah. Wow. That was crazy, man. Yeah. I think things happen for me kind of naturally, man. You know, I, I, um, I approach every job with honesty, you know, um, I get to sit down with people and, and find their truth, right? Their, their voice, Um, what are you trying to communicate and, and the best thing I can say is I I just, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that question, man. Like it it just, it's, it's, it's something that happens for me naturally. You know, Mm -hmm. I click with somebody, you know, I'm honest about it. I don't try to really. Manipulate stuff too much or try to come in with like, Ah, we're gonna do this idea I listen, I listen a lot to people, you know and what they have to say, and then from there um I start digging into like their soul, whether it's um visually uh connecting with them, speaking with them, and I think once you reach that that level um in, in connection with people, the best work comes out. The best work comes out. Magic happens. You know, if you come in like I'm gonna do this and this and that, and you know, I have to say that I've been blessed with the with the with the gift of interpreting music in, into visuals, right? Like. I wasn't a photographer that was hired by a magazine to take a picture of a person in a house. You know what I mean? Or hang out with them and go to the park and take a picture. I was a photographer that was hired, not only as a photographer, but almost as a creative director to interpret and represent the music and the artist and put it into visuals. 95% 95% of my work was that, mm. you know? I was not being like, hey man, we... It happened with House of Pain, right? That's how the genesis of my entire career happened, but it turned to more specifically to Outside album covers have very little um, portrait photography, right? Mostly, interpreting music, and I, I was blessed to sit down with the with the artists. You know, I sat down with the Wu Tang before I shot them. Went to their went to their studio. Went to the Wu Tang studio where all of them were hanging out. They were broke as fuck. They had no money. Luke, no money. I remember the research coming to me and say, you know. You see the shirt right here? I've been wearing it for three days. Mm. But I'm going to blow the fuck up, you know, because I have, I have something different. And this man was so sure about what he was going to do that, you know, it, it, it just, like, energized me. You know what I mean? It's just like, I believed it. You know, and that's why I went all out for the Wu. When, when I heard that record, I was like, yo, the fuck is this? This is before anybody <laughs> ever heard the Wu then.
2: Take me through that moment, that first time hearing that
0: album. Yo, I, I, I gotta say, um, Ray Quan, I gravitated to Ray Quan very early. And, and he was like, yo, papi, come here, man. Let, let, let me run you this thing. He, he rapped Can It Be So Simple in my ear before he recorded. Oh, wow. I was like, yo, that shit is crazy. You know what I mean? Like, I was hanging with all these dudes, you know. And, and, I mean, you know, I could have done a lot more, too. But they got so big and, you know, everybody started, like, you know, cop blocking here and there. You know, you had, like, people working with them that now were the art directors and where they're doing the shit. You know what I mean? Right. But if I would have shot every Wu-Tang cover, man, it would have been it would have been like the fucking thirty-six chambers to the max. You know? Mm. But I never got that chance. I shot the first one, then the second one, of oh, the label wants to do this, the label wants to do that, management is thinking about this. And I was just like, yo. They they were they were hating on your boy. I'm not talking about the whoopers say, you know what I mean? Of course.
2: Of course. I'm talking about
0: like, you know, the executives and the marketing geniuses that came, you know, after the second and third record, you know, and none of their next covers look like the 36 Chambers, you
2: know? We're talking about a time with a lot of leeches. There are a lot of people that did exploit the Woo and that W kind of got exploited at some point, you mm-hmm. know, over the years. Yeah. Let's not front, that did happen. Let's talk about creating 36 Chambers. Mm-hmm. Take me through that experience and conversation with the Razor and the guys. All
0: right, so... This is what happened, right? I shot Return of the Boom Bap for Jive Records which was connected somehow to RCA and RCA already had kind of like the gist of me, right? And to be honest with you, I feel like part of me getting jobs was because White photographers who were fucking scared of rappers, bro. Yo, yeah, I'm saying it out there. I'm saying it. It was like that, you know. It was not the rap that, or the hip-hop that was today. Shit was grimy, dude. Shit was like crazy. You know, you had to actually, you know, part of it was that, but part of it was like, hey, listen, I was a creative motherfucker too, right? So, you know, I was creating some beautiful work. Right, so so it was like kind of like a good combination, man. But when I went to shoot, I always came down with a Wu Tang clang of my own. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it was it was my crew. You know what I'm saying? You had your crew, it was my crew. Right. I had my crew, bro. Like they had my back. It was not just me. Yo, listen, man. There was photographers being slapped. There was writers being jumped. There was motherfuckers oh, put in a hospital. Like. Yo, the 90s was crazy, Luke. Telling you, man. But we kind of grew up on that. Like, there was mad fights up in the streets all the time. You know what I'm saying? This block was fighting with that block. That block was fighting with this other block. Like, you had to, like, it was the 90s. You had to crew up. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And that shit was, before we even get to racial. Because then it was, like, Latinos against, black against, like, whites against, all that shit. Then that shit was, like, you really had to, like, crew up, you know? And it's funny because in the neighborhood, we were all friends. We had black, white, and, you know, Latino friends. But she with that being said, I was just trying to tell you that, you know, the environment in the 90s, you know, you had to, you had to have thick skin, man. You couldn't really come in, like softy soft and trying to, trying to shoot and, you know, you might get your shit taken. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. That was the, that was like kind of like, and not just for writers and photographers, there's nothing, to MC, So to the point, I was in, I was in Atlanta. I was at a place called Jack the Rapper, uh, which all, like you ever seen those videos where, where Busta Rhymes and, and ODB are battling in a hotel.
2: Yeah, when you say Jack the Rapper, were we talking about Jack the Rapper convention? Yes.
0: So right. I was there. I was like, I actually saw that shit live. I was like in that place where Busta and, and ODB were rhyming against each other. I was in that room. Incredible. Right? Incredible. So I was there. Right. And RCA... Calls my phone, my my line line, because I didn't have a cell phone. You know, back in the day, you had to actually check your phone once in a while, you know, call your phone to see if you got a message, you know. And, um, and, you know, Jackie Murphy, the creative director of RCA, was like, hey, you know, we have this group called the Wu-Tang Clan. We'd like to see if you'd be interested in shooting. So I called Jackie. I was like, Jackie, the Wu-Tang Clan is performing, and Jack the Rapper... Tonight, what a coincidence. I'm going to go and check out those guys. You know what I mean? Nice. So, Protect Your Neck was out. I already know Protect Your Neck. Um, you know, we had, everybody had that, that white tape with a little Wuhan yeah. Bible, you know, book. So, uh, you know, boom, man, we get ready. I was actually with a couple of my guys Richard Bravo, TJ Camilo was with us. Um, there was a few. There was a few people, and we go we go down to see the Wu, the Wu Tang Clan, a new the new group called the Wu Tang Clan, right? And um, you know, as we're waiting for, there were some rappers. I forgot who they, who who it was, but there were some rappers before them. And and in the middle of the set, this dude with a with a hoodie. And a, and a stocking mask goes on stage while these rappers are rapping, you know? And 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 another guy comes to the left, you know, so they, there's two guys and the rappers are like, who the fuck is who the fuck is going on stage right now? Like who who are the Disney's, you know? Like, they're like, you know, in the middle. You can tell they're rapping, but they're like, oh, you know, you know, commotion. Yo, so, then like. Eight of those motherfuckers go in the fucking... And we don't know what is happening. We don't know it's the woo. We don't know that, you know? we just like, oh, what the fuck is happening, right? So eight of those motherfuckers come out. (coughs) They take the fucking DJ off the the DJ thing. They fucking go to the sound man. They fucking do some shit and then...
1: Wu-Tang plan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang plan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang plan
2: ain't nothing to fuck with. There's no place to hide as I step inside the room. Doctor Doom prepare for the boom, bam. Ah man, ah slam. I scream
0: like Tarzan.
2: I be tossing and forcing. My style is awesome. I'm causing more family feud than Richard Dawson. And the survey
0: said you're Yo. Man, like
2: incredible.
0: And, and I'm on stage watching that shit. Like there is an actual video, and they took it off of YouTube because I couldn't fucking grab it fast enough, and I saw myself there. I was like, "Oh shit, that's me. You know, I'm on stage like looking at this whole thing, like, "What the fuck is going on? you?" Know? <laughs> <laughs> and that was my introduction to Wu tang Right, that was my introduction to the Wu Tang man. That shit was epic. And um, you know, I went to I went to the RZA after the show, and I was like, Yo, ta da da, I'm being, you know, we're gonna talk in New York. And that's when I went to New York and flew. Well, when I went went back to New York, I met with with the RZA, and and uh, we uh, we talked about you know the ideas, and he told me, you know, I wanted it's called Enter the Wu, like Enter the Dragon. I'm into Kung Fu Flicks, you know. I was like, yo, well let's do a monastery, you know what I mean? Like we can candles, we could can make that logo into gold. I'll get a sculptor to sculpt that shit and, and he's like, do it. And so the day of the photo shoot, not all of them, not all of them came through. Um it was only the Rizza, Jiza, Inspector Deck. Break um, One, Ghostface, and uh, ODB. Six people. Six people were, were there. And you know, we were waiting for Metal Man. We were waiting for You God, and we were for um, Master Killer. And it was already like two hours, and I was like, Yo, man, we we, we gotta right And I was like, Nah, we're not shooting without them. You know, and that's reasons like, Reese, like that one is loyal, bro. He's loyal to, like, loyal to the core. He's like, nah, that's all my guys. I can't do it without them. And this was before Photoshop, because, you know, today we're like, hey, we'll just Photoshop them in, right? So there's <laughs> no there's none of that. I was True. like, yo, when we went to Atlanta, you guys bomb-rushed the crew and you all had stocking masks. Why don't we do that shit? And he was like, I'm not sure our faces on the cover. He was like, I was like, nah, you're the Wu-Tang Clan. You're, you, you're one unit. You're the clan. It doesn't matter. And he was like, he thought about it for 15 seconds. He was like, you know what? Let's do it. And that was like, that cover almost didn't happen, man. If I was in, and I think that right there, that moment is what defines me a little bit because it was kind of like to your question, like how do you, how do you like convince people and you know and and, and work with them and tell, like I was honest, right? Goes back to honesty and right. being like, look, you are this, and you need to convey that because this is who you are. If I didn't know that, that that wouldn't happen, right? So I tap into something that was so. Wu Tang DNA. I tapped into the Wu Tang DNA and was able to visualize that in In an image. And man, I don't know, but I, I, I think that's one of the best images out there, you know, for hip hop. Although, you know, fucking, I think it was complex. Didn't include it as one of the best 50 hip hop album covers there is. So I'm fucking mad at them. Welcome. <laughs>
2: That's crazy. It's almost for me. I was thinking about this the other day. It's almost for me. A cover that represents a sort of last gasp of mystery for that time. Well put. You know. Can you speak to that mystery, you know, in working with Wu Tan after that, especially Ghostface with the big doe. Rehab of course, where we was masked mm-hmm. up again.
0: You know, things happen kind of I think sometimes you know we, we look at we look at this from from a, a creative point of view and analyze and be like, "Wow, this is just highly conceptualized, right and all this stuff. but you know you look at the at the chain of events, you know it, it is almost funny, you know, in a way, because the only reason why he was being masked up was because he had a little case that he was still dealing with, and he didn't want to be recognized. That's right. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know what I (laughs) mean, you think about it now, you know, you're like, oh shit. But like in perspective, it's like, wow, he was so mysterious and trying to like, provoke the mystery, you know what I mean? So it's kind of funny because, (laughs) and if you think about like how, you know, the actual cover happened, was just that like they came and bum rushed the fucking you know crew out of the stage and and that's the mystique and the mystery that you're speaking about right like you know right. I was able to absorb that energy and and put and put it together you know and I was I was put in that place in time to witness that to be able to see that and then, and then to be able to interpret it into and to take it from life right and uh i don't know man it's something that i i think that my process my process of creation is is uh it's very raw and organic um i do sketch and i do i i do put concepts together a lot like if you go and you see the bad meets evil you know that's very conceptualized too, you know, and actually very thought of before we actually execute it. You know, it's the same with woo, but there's also like an organic element that happens that it's hard to explain, man. It comes from like another yeah. dimension that is pulled out of me and just like, bam. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You mentioned bad meets evil. Let's talk about some of those M&M shots you took back in the day, which are, you know, as much as m m is iconic, these shots are arguably some of oh, his most iconic and known and creative work. How collaborative is M&M when you're taking pictures and working for a Well,
0: project? I've, I've worked with m m in between decades, right? So <laughs> it was very different. Right. Like. The first Eminem that I shot, I would be like, hey man, put a banana in your head. And he would be like, ah, you know, and fucking, <laughs> you know, probably put it in his head, put it on his dick and, you know, squeeze it. I don't know. You know, he, I could have said anything to him, right? Like I, I could have said anything to him, you know, whether it was a banana, or, you know what I mean? Stand on one foot. You know what I mean? I could have said anything at that moment because Eminem was starting out. You know, he was at the beginning of his journey. He was not the Eminem that he is today. You know what I mean? Like we, my first photo shoot with him was so much fun. Like, you know, it it was just two creative kids. You know, and well, twenty twenty year old kids. You know what I mean? Twenty eight year old kids, but you know it. It was different. It was like full of energy. He was like, I remember he was so much fun, uh, kind of like a little bit goofy in a way, like he would do anything I would say and, and, um, and, and very collaborative, right? So I was like, I, I got this for you. And, and I listened to the lyrics and, and, and I was like, that, that sort of maniacal you know, energy that he had, I wanted to bring that to life. So he was, like, with it, you know, from day one. But today's Eminem's different is, like, you know, you have to actually have everything pre-approved, written, and, you know, like, uh, visualize PowerPoint to the max until you get to shoot him, you know what I mean? Because he's not, you can't waste that dude's time, bro. His time is, like, you know, his time runs on money, you know what I mean? So... It, you know, you can't waste his time, right? And Paul is its very protective of that. Like, he, he's very, um, I mean, shout out to Paul, man. He's like the managers of managers, bro. Like, you know, love working with him, too. So, to your question is, how is working with Eminem? I work with two different Eminems. I work with a very young, uh, Slim Shady, uh, you know, a uh, uh, Superman or Robin outfit, you know, wearing, you know, making a lot of fun and, and having a really fun time. And I also work with the more, um, you know, post-fame Eminem. And it was great too, man. Like I, I got some beautiful shots later on. But my approach is also different, right? Like I also grew in that sense. I could produce a movie today. You know what I mean? So it's not like I, I, I'm... I was that same guy too i grew I grew up as well and um you know both you could see the difference on both images like if you go to like the rawness of slim Shady, which became my cover um, because the the cover that they had was was also um was uh, prohibited. To buy, by I think Kmart or one of those because he had a woman on the trunk, right? So my cover became the Slim Shady album cover special edition. That's the cover that became that, right? So, um, man, what what a time! I mean, he, I, I knew he was gonna blow the minute I heard his music, and I was like, "Wow, this guy's white, bro! This guy's gonna blow the fuck up!" You know, it was it was. Like you could tell with the beats and, and his rhymes and the way he the storytelling and his skills too, obviously, right? And and I capture that. I capture that moment, right? That first. And I think I'm known for looking back at my track record, I'm known for like breaking artists and and I love that. You know, I love that. That part and then, you know, back me tea what comes back around and a whole different approach, but still highly creative. I was able to listen to the music before, because I don't shoot without listening to music, right? And I was able to put some concepts together. Right. You know, Paul approves, runs it by M. By the time M's come to set, I'm already pre-lit, I'm already ready for the guy. Like, there's no, you you know, you stand here, boom, 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 shot, boom, money in the can. You know what I mean? So uh, and I love that, too, because, you know, there's, there's also at this at this point in my life, I'm, I'm more efficient. I, I don't waste people's time. You know, I I come in with, you know, the creative already thought out and presented and approved and I just execute.
2: And you really did give two different visual identities to two different eras of Eminem. Make no mistake, that did happen. And it's incredible right? that you made that history.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah.
2: What are your memories of working with Mob Deep for America's Nightmare?
0: Oh, man, Mob Deep. Those are my guys, man. I'm from Queens, so, you know, Queens is, it's, it was my backyard, right, when I came to the States. So, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, I gravitated towards them, you know, and um, those guys were, were as, you know, legit, like, solid dudes. You know what I mean? Like, P was just very creative, a very smart individual. And so is Havoc. And, uh, you know, it was fun, man. And I got, and it was my idea to shoot the entire, the entire squad, which is like huge. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it was, um, it's good, man. I, I was always, when we get reunited and they always bring pictures, um, it was a good time, and in America's Nightmare. We wanted to convey, like, you know, the the you know how they're being, how they're seen, right? In 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 today's society, and and that was like peace and 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 um, having also um, idea and image of how they want to be portrayed, and and I just provided. At that time, I was creative director of Jive Records, so. I was uh um I was working closely with everything that was coming from the urban department and um man we ha- we had a lot of fun but there's one particular image that that I caught that I don't know if you've seen it on on my um on my uh photography website but it's like P and havoc are sitting and in a, a tombstone, and there's an angel on top of them—a Jesus or an angel—and there's a cross on top of them. You ever seen that picture? I don't
2: think I have.
0: And, no. And Havoc is looking at the camera, and Havoc has like every time I shoot Havoc, I I feel like Havoc Havoc has like like something to say more mm-hmm. than what he says because a very quiet guy but but he's mm. he's there and his, his look says a lot more, right? And then P is looking down like he's, like he's like, like it's his last days. And that picture is so beautiful, man. I want to make that picture big because, you know, it, 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 it meant a whole different thing when he passed away. I was like, Oh my God, look at this picture, you know? And, uh, see it I think it should be on my website but um yeah those are really really cool guys same with the locks man the locks are like super fun man they're always good it's good to see like them like being grown men and also having families and being husbands and fathers and still do what they do and and having a a great time with it. You know, it it tells a whole different story in hip hop, almost like what rock and roll right now, rock and roll dudes are are like great grandfathers and still rocking. Right. And there was a point where people couldn't see 50 year old rappers because it was such a new thing. Now, today we have 50 year old rappers that are still doing it, you know, and that's, that's good to see because speaks to longevity.
2: Speaking of longevity, what was it like working with Nas for "I Am," which often gets forgotten as one of the most notoriously bootlegged albums in hip hop? What was that experience like, man?
0: Man, I don't know, man, but we almost killed Nas that day. Really? <laughs> yeah. What happened? It was an accident, man. Look, we were trying to do it, and I don't know if he remembers this, but you know, it's on tape. Um, we we um, we were making a mold of his face because the, the, the Nas IM cover, people sometimes don't know this, but that's not a digital, that's not a digital artwork. That is an actual physical sculpted piece, uh-huh. right? By a very talented sculptor named Dave Cortez, one of my good friends. And, uh... You know, we needed, the process was, you know, to sculpt the piece, but we were going to do a mold of his face, so it could be his face, right? You do a mold of his face, and then you got the negative imprint, and then you fill it up with yeso or whatever, and and then you get, you know, NASA's face, right? So, apparently the first time we tried the mold, the, uh, you know, you got to cover his face with it, and the straws moved, so the the... The, the solution was going in his nose. So now his, his mouth is covered. The nose is getting filled up with with this yeso, you know, mall shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then we got Nas kicking like, yo, you know, and then we're like, oh shit, he can't breathe. <laughs> so we got to, <laughs> we had to. I personally think that if it was one of these new rappers today, I think these new rappers would have kicked a fucking can and be like, "Fuck this bullshit, I'm out." But yeah. our boy was like, "Hey man, let's do it again, man. It's cool, we could do it. It's fine, I'm alright." He was he was a sport about it, you know. And he wasn't like like he was asphyxiated to death or anything like that. He was like, you know, he kind of stopped breathing for a few seconds. So.
2: It sounds like the. <laughs> patience he had in going through that process is a testament to the same patience he had in this album being bootlegged as heavy as it was wow oh,
0: wow man you're drawing connections now i like it's
1: time man what's up it's time man it it Broken glass in the hallway, blood stained floors, neighbors, look at every bag you bring through your doors, lock the top lock. Mama should have cuffed me to the radiator. Why not? And might have saved me later from my block and why cops, hookers crawling off the stroke, corp and stitches
2: in the What about working with Gangsta for one of my favorite albums, Hard to Earn? Which feels like, you know, for so many people, including myself, the pinnacle of that boom bap sound in that era. How did you get approached to do the cover for Hard to work?
0: Uh, to be honest with you it's Premier man. Premier actually saw Return of the Boom Bap, which he also produced and he fell in love with that whole photography. And I think that Premier tells it better, but you know, he's like I he he never saw that way of shooting for, for music. And you know to to be honest with you I think before I got into the game, it was really like, and I'm not saying anything about photographers or anything like that, but it was like good photography and art, but like my work was like, my photography was the music interpreted into photography. I don't know if that makes sense to people, but that's the way I approached it. And I think Primo recognized that. Primo recognized that right away and he saw... He saw uh, 36. I mean, Return of the Boom Bap, and he was like, "I got. I want that guy to interpret my album into photographs." You know, and and uh, working with working with with Prem and and Keith, man, rest in peace. Uh, working with who was great because you know I was like their family photographer. You know what I mean? I was shooting the entire Gangstar Foundation. I will, you know, I would go to the studio, hang out with J Rue, hang out with uh Group Home, you know, see them, you know, you know, go to their shows, you know, it, it was it was dope. It was like family, man. And and Prim and I have kept a relationship through the years, the same with J Rue. Um that, you know, I still work with him. I just did a music video last year, uh, two years ago for him and Casanova. And uh, and and you know, just still we still we still you know, good friends and support each other. He's like, yo, D, I need this picture. Boom, I get it to him right away. Whatever, Prince wants, he gets. You know, they blessed me for so many years, and and I'm I'm indebted to them because of my career. And uh, it was it was it was kind of like a, a little bit of um, you know, side sad note on how. You know, gangster got this all because it. I, I don't necessarily need believe it should have happened that way. You know, but I witnessed the other side of of, of Guru, and um, and I didn't like the side you know? like it was. It was something that um, it was like Guru was convinced that everything that was done before was not to huh. his liking for some reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he pushed he pushed Premier away and and you know and and I think he was influenced he was influenced too, I saw it, by uh, by this man yeah. who I don't even we'll, want to mention. Right, it's not worth not it. Worth it. You know, but but I saw it firsthand you know, to the point that I, I was trying to work with Guru. <clears throat> while I was working with Guru towards the end of his life, and and not towards the end of his life, but prior to to that, and it was impossible to work with the guy. Man, the guy was like so controlled. You know, and he would come with one. You know, would say something, and then he would come back. I was like, this is not the Guru I know. You know, and to the point that I was like, look, I. I can't work with you, dude. Here's your money. I gave him his money back and everything because that other person made it so Mm. impossible for us to work together again. And I didn't want that to be that way, but it was just literally impossible, bro. And I know, and I was told things to me like, oh, man, you changed, you did this, you did that by guru. Listening to that hurt, you know what I mean? Because here I am trying to you know, I always had a great relationship yeah. with, you know, the Gangster Foundation and Prima and I so close. And I was like, you know what, there's no money in the world that is going to let me accept this. So I gave him his money back. You know, I was like, here's your money, bro. I don't want to work with you. And it, 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 it was like that, you know, and that's the truth, you know. And, you know, he was like, nah, man, nah, don't do this to me. I was like, nah, man. I'm not working, you working with that guy, I'm not Man. working with you. And I gave him his money back. But it was something that, you know, say, like, I, I just also feel that there was, um, you know, I think there was maybe some mental health issue that was not addressed, you know, and and, and quickly flip into something else. And, and a person could take advantage of somebody like that you know yeah. um
2: we're talking about means... an evil person yeah we? this yeah, is evil yeah, pure yeah. evil
0: it's horrible it's evil it's, it's ugly you know because you know you can you know i i sat there and, and and also heard from that person like whatever happened before that doesn't mean anything i'm like what are you talking about like this is the foundation you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, so it was, it was that, but you, you heard, read the stories and, and yeah. that. but you know, I told Prim that story. I was like, yo Prim, man, this is what happened, bro. You know, Prim was like, yo, we, imagine what we went through. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause I, am nowhere near close to that. So, but I'm, I'm super happy that Prim has able to, uh, gotten the gangstar uh, name. uh, you know legally back, and his son is actually playing some I mean, it's a lot of fun stuff like Cream is such a good hearted person man, yeah man. you know, and love love him to death and and I think that you know you can't do bad to people that are good, you know what I mean you can't she's not gonna win, but you know to to that to to your question, I always love working with gangstar men such so, and they they always gave me uh freedom of creativity and, and they always trusted you know trusted me and, and Brent Rollins, shout out to Brent Rollins, creative director extraordinaire, who did all the covers as well. so
2: Well, let's talk about that creative freedom with How To Earn a little bit more specifically. Can you talk about your relationship with the lighting for shooting that project? What was the process? Because there's a great use of lighting for this project and I know mm-hmm. you pride yourself on lighting with these mm-hmm. albums.
0: Wow, that's a good question, man. I was like, that lighting actually is a, a photography speaking is breaking all the rules of book. Mm. Number one, because um, that's one of the only covers are probably done with tungsten light. And when, when you go into school, tungsten light you need a filter to shoot tungsten light to make the white look white and the blacks look black. Right? But I didn't want to filter. I wanted this to look red. So I actually went into the shoot wanting for this album cover to, to look red. Right? I don't know why it happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and, and furthermore, I actually cross-processed the film which was um, taking the film from taking a a positive reversal film and processing through negative colors, through through negative chemicals, right? And that's hence the word cross-process, right? And what that did was that that will crank up the contrast and that will give you a really experimental look that before Photoshop, you couldn't really get unless you got creative with manipulating the chemicals in the lab. And 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 that's that's how that red came about because you know, I didn't have Photoshop back then and people have Photoshop. It was like, you know, the creative directors in a company it was like Photoshop one point two or something like that. You know what I mean? Like
2: <laughs> Got you. Got you. So how soon after listening to an album do you typically have a clear idea about lighting and these photographic techniques you'd like to propose to an artist?
0: Um, Usually it's right away, man. Like I'm listening to an album and I'm just jotting things down and, and I, I basically start by like collecting words, you know, and and Concepts and 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 I start like I have a, by the end of the album I have a collection of words and phrases that resonated with me and um, you know whether it is Mark Anthony or Prince Royce I shot Prince Royce I've I've shot a lot more than hip hop you know yeah and 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 it's all the same approach you know whether whether I'm shooting a romantic album or I'm shooting a I, I never shoot everything the same way. I just, I just actually, I got the number one record right now with, with uh, the number one re- rock record. Oh yeah. With the pretty records, yeah, Taylor Momsen, which is a uh, badass chick man, rock man. She's so dope, um, and she got the number one uh, rock record worldwide. It's called, um, it's called uh, Death by Rock and Roll. And you've got to see the cover, man. She's on a motorcycle, hot chick, like just, dope. you know, dope, man. Dope. It's like, and and, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you could tell these in Hastings, but you know, I I think it's it's way different than Stuff that I shoot, but it looks very glamorous and glossy, and you know, still has like, still has like that rebel look to it. Which I guess I'm known for
2: too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's interesting you mentioned, you know, those influences that seep into your work um, outside of hip hop. One of my <laughs> favorite covers you did was by the Licks, Exo Experience. Did did you have any influence on <laughs> Classic, classic? Did did you have any influence on a direction on a style of them during that shoot together?
0: Yes, but I'm upset at that at that picture because it wasn't supposed to be exactly like that. That was the art director's fault. If you see the picture, if you see the photo shoot and you see the, the actual cover without the graphics that they try to emulate the late uh, Jim Jimi Hendrix, Hendrix experience, yeah. right, I told them, don't do, don't do the same graphics. Because you're going to get in trouble. Bro, I said that to a label. I said that to a label. A person that is not on a label says that to the label. How the fuck, how the fuck you're not going to listen, man? I said, listen, you're going to get in trouble because it's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be just a picture because I had color and I was actually doing... If you see the full picture, this in my website. It's a very, it's a beautiful, like I hand colored everything. And the picture was supposed to be full, you know, to cover that entire album cover. And you could have done whatever graphics you wanted. But then dummy went and did the exactly replica of the exo, of the Jimi Hendrix experience. Mm. And what happens? The state put a lawsuit. On, on the album and then they, they had to take all the album off the shelves. you know so but if you look at that album that that photo shoot, that's one of my favorite photo shoot bro. I'm glad you actually picked that one up because that I, 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 I went and did a, a, a really good you know we were paying homage to moments in history for for African Americans. Um, you know we did like the Black Panthers, we did Jimi Hendrix. We did uh, baseball, we did sports, we did um, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, first bas- baseball player Robinson. Um, you know, we did a lot of a lot of like homage in, in that in that work, and and the work was supposed to be inspired by those things. But I've never been one to replicate things things to the t, right? You know. You can actually get inspired, but you don't want to replicate things like that, right? So, yeah, man, and, and that record suffered. That record suffered because the label actually went and did the same graphics. And I don't know, man. You know, it, it, it's just, but some of those pictures that are in my um in, in my website are still there. And I love them. Matter of fact, I am actually got a video that I should repost of um, the way I did the process of hand coloring that image.
2: I'd love to see that. And, of course, like I yeah. say, the images are available on the website right now. And you do have images that are available for purchase, don't you?
0: Yes. If you go to my... Um, when is this going to come out? this Sunday? Uh, yeah, Sunday. Sunday, I'm going to actually start putting some new, new stuff because I've been revamping. What happened with your boy is that um I've been selling a lot of stuff in galleries and exhibits and stuff so you know the prices are going up man. Mm. <laughs> Sorry to say that but it's like it, you know I can't sell things in galleries for a certain price and then in my website for a certain price. So I had to take everything down because there's some some galleries that are you know selling the stuff up for you know a couple of thousand dollars and and you know I can't do that and then sell them For a couple of hundred dollars on my website, you know what I mean. So I kind of have to to now move to the next level of 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 that, which is a the work is is gonna last. And, and people have to see it like it's an investment. Art's an investment, man. You know, I, I sold pictures for with the risk signature for 500 bucks. Today, people are selling it for 2,500 dollars. You know what I mean? Like you resell. People are reselling stuff, you know, so it goes, you know, you got to see it. It's almost like an NFT.
2: (laughs) It's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned NFTs. It's an interesting time with the value of art, with this new age that is being ushered in digitally. How do you feel about the NFT age that's being ushered in?
0: I love it. I love it. I love it because, one, uh, it's the first time for artists to be able to collect royalties on things directly right so that's exciting to me like if i sell if i sell you a a wu-tang picture for 500 bucks right let's just say throw a number out there right it's your picture Mm. it's in a frame you frame it you have it in your house you could sell that to somebody else ownership you know what i mean yeah you own it you know you own the actual physical you don't have the rights to the photograph that, right. The rights belong to me. Right. And to the reason, Right. So you don't have the rights to the to the photograph, but you actually own the physical piece. So you could actually be like, you know what? Let me make some money with this. I'm, I'm going to sell it for five thousand. I don't see any of that. That was your piece. You sell it. Right. And that's what happens with art. Right. You know, people buy paintings. The value goes up and then they resell their paintings to, you know, people with money. And the artist that originally sold that painting never gets any royalties for anything that gets sold beyond. point in case, Picasso stuff gets sold for gazillions of dollars. His family is not eating, you know any of that, right? I don't see any of that, right? But with NFTs, the value goes up, and you always see royalties. And what people need to understand is that an NFT is almost like the deed right. of the art. You know, you have to see it that way. It's the deed. It's, that, it's the certificate, right, that says that I pay this value for that. And I have the picture with me. Right. Right. And I want to sell it now. And then you'll get that deed. And in the blockchain, once you buy it, you receive the deed and you receive the digital form, right? It's a lot of great areas that I think that we're still learning. And, um, I I got a a team now that is assessing me on, on bringing my first NFT collection, which will consist of a hundred NFTs based on 20 pictures. And it's, it's, it's like picture and components that, that are inspired by the picture as well, right? So I think it's very new and exciting uh, era for, for artists and, and also for, for money, man. Like, you know, th- this whole, we live in a world where money is not even what it's supposed to be. You know, back in the days, you, they created cash because you had like a legal representation of uh, that paper in gold in the bank. But we we're done past the credit, you know, they, not, now we live on credit, you know, everything is credit. So there's not enough gold to represent the cash that is circulating out in the fiat currency, right? So that's where we're going, man. We're going to a digital era, bro, and there's going to be a time in our life where we're not going to see cash. Crypto rules everything around
2: me. <laughs> <laughs> Without question. Do you worry that the people researching this crazy phenomenon, NFTs and the business around it, and now focusing more on the business than the actual art that's being made itself. Do you worry there's a risk in that being a fin I think that the
0: art is gonna pick up though. Yeah. Like you know It's new. The, the first- yeah, it's new, so you got like memes for Christ's sake, like that they think that they're artists, you know what I mean? You know, so it was like the only thing available. But I mean, look at a success like people, you know what I mean? People came in and such good artists, man, such good. Like, I was so happy that he was able to do that. And he was relatively not known. I, I argue this with my sons because, like, what? People's been known for years. I was like, yeah, but in the like, he was in a, a Basquiat, right? Like, his name wasn't, like, established in the art community. It was definitely known with his followers, you know? But in the art community, he wasn't like that, right? He dude got $60 million, bro. Crazy. That's amazing. Like, that means, like, man, if I can get a few million dollars of my work shit, I'm, I'm in it, <laughs> you know? Because also, you know... We don't get royalties, you know, photographers don't get royalties for it. I mean, we could sell stuff and and make deals and, and, you know, we got to work for hours, right? But um, let's say now with this NFT, I can create NFTs and, you know, the more volume I have, the more this stuff can generate. And eventually I could be... 80 years old and checking my nft account and be like okay yeah we're still selling this and that you
2: know? the possibilities are really limitless and there's so much creative space in this mm-hmm. incredible time i want to thank you for shaping what's defined some of the best album covers of the past oh man five plus years it's been thank an absolute you. history lesson talking to you man
0: oh man thank you luke this this was a great interview bro and and uh I can't wait for the fans to, you know, check it and follow me on Instagram, Danny Hastings is easy. Um I just currently just dropped two contacts, she's met the man and red men and I make those affordable, like one fifty. Um and and uh yeah, this boy is going back to the lab, so I actually printed those myself. I oh, went to the, to the dark room and I just, you know, Printed the context myself, so it has a different feel to to them. And I, I'm all about also, you know, printing negatives versus letting an inject printer, you know, do the There chat.
2: it is. I want to ask you one final question because I know it's something dear to your heart and something that I'm passionate about as well. And that's uh, your relationship with film. Can you tell me about your relationship with Latino
0: film festivals? Oh specifically? right. Um. Wow. Well. I, I've i always wanted to be a filmmaker. You know what I mean? Like, my relationship with film is like, I, I'm a film buff. I watch films all the time. Um, and recently, I needed to jump in there specifically because, you know, the Latino representation in the United States, even though we're the largest minority in this country, is at a dismal 4% of representation on the on movies and TV 4% we're near 20 some percent right nearing 30% of the population you know what I mean and we only represent 4% 4% of acting roles right and 2% of those and half of that is is stereotypes yeah you know they always seem to get the same Latino doing the same thing you're either a thug you're either, uh, you know, sex vixen, you know, and, and they always want to make a caricature of, of our accents and stuff. And, you know, it, it's been a long time that this has been happening. This is not a new phenomenon. This has been happening for almost 50 years. So I said to myself, what can I do to, to change or, or to actually help change? Because I'm not going to do it alone. Uh, the representation in film for us, right? Here in America, like we're, you know, it's all, they think that we're immigrants in this country. You know, with the actual fact is that half of this land was Mexico, you know, and before was native, right? But when United States became United States, Mexicans were in this country before this country was United States, Right. right. And we're still the immigrants, you know, and, and that poses a question about education and it poses the question about, like, how well do Americans know their history, you know? Um, and I said to myself, I need to do something for my people because we're caught up in this whole thing where a president could become president and talk about when Mexico send their people, they only send their bad people. They're bad hombres, quote unquote. But he grew up watching movies where only Latinos were bad. You know, so a lot of a lot of Americans grew up watching Latinos being bad on TV. So they, you know, that's what they think. You know, but in my circle, my circle, I uh, have engineers, doctors, entrepreneurs, business owners, restaurant managers. You know what I mean? And I never see any of my friends and my circle of Latinos depicted on TV. So I said, I'm going to make something different. So I created the official Latino Film Festival, uh, which is now sponsored by HBO and is sponsored by Verizon Media, sponsored by Diageo, one of the biggest, largest, uh, and I think they're from England, uh, distributors in the world of liquor. And... uh, you know, and it's just to put a positive image of my people out there, man, because it's been way too long, you know. And, and partly it's like we can't expect for Hollywood to do it. We got to do it ourselves. That's, that's been my approach from day one into everything I do, you know. So that's my relationship with film. And, and actually, um, I was able to place officially six films on HBO, by us, uh, by the Latino community, and independently, I was able to place about 12, you know, so. Amazing. Yeah, man, so, you know, I'm really proud of that, and, you know, as you get older, like, do I want to shoot more photography? Yes, but for some reasons, these labels don't call me, man, you know, so I got to create my own, my own avenue, right, my own destiny, exactly.
1: like a freshly cut time like the freshly
2: diamonds are forever like family and loyalty or real rap songs like cream or my melody diamonds are forever like my
0: infinite i wish i could show my appreciation for this podcast i wish i could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when fly fidelity updates because it's so great but i don't think there's a way i can do any of those things uh-oh you're wrong
2: <laughs> <laughs> subscribe on spotify apple podcasts and soundcloud and never miss an episode Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My peoples,
1: are you with me where you were?